Welcome to the New Books Network. Okay, so th- this is a reproduction. So you can see it's a Opera Garnier house. And for us uh, French people, the Opera Garnier house is very is symbolistic because uh, during the war, the Opera House was was really the, the place of the Nazis. And in the, in the other side uh, of the postcard, you can see the, 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 the first names. The handwriting was very strange f- for us. We, we, we didn't recognize who wrote it. And as you can see, the stamp was uh, upside down and um, a lot of strange details. Hi, everyone. This is AJ Woodhams, host of the War Books podcast, where I interview today's best authors writing about war-related topics. Uh, Today, I am really excited to have on the show Anne Barrist for her new novel, The Postcard. Uh, Anne is the best-selling co-author of How to Be Parisian, Wherever You Are, and the author of a novel based on the life of French writer Francois Sagan. With her sister Claire, she is also the author of Gabrielle, a critically acclaimed biography of her great-grandmother. She's been profiled in publications like Vogue, Inherits, and she has received numerous literary awards. Her latest novel, The Postcard, which we're talking about today, uh, was a finalist for the Goncourt Prize. Anne, how are you doing today? Very well. I'm in Paris, in France. I know you were just on an American tour, right? So you were in D.C., New York. Miami, San Francisco. Oh, wow. Boston. It was an amazing book tour. Oh, perfect. Well, I'm so glad to, to have you on the show here today. Thank you uh, for inviting me. Yeah, no, really, it's uh, my pleasure. Um, it's like the greatest thing is I get to talk to to really interesting authors about about their books. And and again, I really loved your book. I loved a lot of things about it. I loved how it, it alternated um, between past and present. I thought you did an excellent job there. Well, I guess in, in your words first, you know, what would you say your book is about? Okay, so uh, first of all, I I want you and the listener to know that this novel is based on true facts and on events that uh, happened to me and to my family. That's why I like to call the book a true novel, Um, because although it's written in a novelistic style, uh, I didn't uh, imagi- imagine anything. So, uh, to make a long story short, the book uh, starts in uh, 2003 when my mother, Lilia, um, receives a postcard uh, in her letterbox, a, a postcard mentioning only four first names Ephraim. Emma, Noemi, and Jacques. No signature, no message, nothing. Just four first names 
that my mother um, recognizes immediately because they are the first names of her grandparents, uncle and aunt, uh, who she never met because they were murdered in a concentration camp uh, during the Holocaust um, because they were Jews. So in other words, these people died uh, during the war and 60 years later, someone sent a postcard with their first names, but this, some, this person wanted to remain anonymous. So uh, the first question was who, and the second was why. Um, and so, so that's how uh, the, the book came to me. But if you agree, if you, I, I can show you the, the postcard. Give me two seconds. Okay. Oh, you have it? I would love to see uh, it. I, I have the, <laughs> the reproduction of the postcard. Yeah. The real one is at my mother's home, but I will, sh I will show it to you, okay? I would love to see it. Okay, so th this is a reproduction. So you can see it's a Opera Garnier house. And for us uh, French people, the Opera Garnier house is very is symbolistic because uh, during the war, during the occupation of Paris, it, 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 it was the place where every night all the Nazis went to listen to music because they couldn't go to movies, to watch movies or to theaters because of the language. So the opera house was, was really the, the place of the Nazis. And in the, in the other side uh, of the postcard, you can see the, 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 the first names. The handwriting was very strange for us. We, we, we didn't recognize who wrote it. And as you can see, the stamp was uh, upside down and um, a lot of strange details uh, on the postcard. And, wow. and so we, 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 have, we had no idea of, uh, of uh, we, we didn't have the slightest clue so who, of who might have sent it. So we, we were very uh, un uncomfortable with that object. And so it's, that's why we, we put it away in a drawer and, and we forgot about it. Uh, it. It wasn't until 15 years later that I decided to investigate with the help of my mother and uh, with the help of a private detective and of a, a graphologist. And um, it's, it's after uh, four years that we fin finally solved the puzzle. Uh, so my books, if you want, tell the story of the journey and the discovery of the, of the mystery. Yeah, and... I am I'm so glad that you showed that that postcard 
you do. I mean, you do figure out, the reader will figure out who wrote the postcard in the book. But for me, to see it right now, I was getting a little emotional with you holding it up because I felt like I've spent so much time in your book along this journey with you. So thank you for that. Well, let's let's talk then about kind of the the historical part uh, yeah. of your book. So you you structure it as a conversation between you and your mother, yeah. um, and you're narrating the events that that happened to your family, which start in 1919 in yeah. Russia, um, the Rabinovich family, up to to 1942 when they're they're killed in in Auschwitz, actually. Yeah. I guess first, why did you choose to to structure the historical part of the book uh, as a story being told between mother and daughter? I was intending my book to young people. I wrote it for the youth. I wanted it to be a book of transmission. It, It was a book for the new generation. So that's why... I I put myself in the shoes of someone who knows almost nothing about the war because I am I am the person in the book I am the person who asks the question the questions on behalf of the reader because I wanted to be sure that if a teenager of if a young adult read the book, he will understand everything. It was very important for me. It was my duty of transmission. Because I think that if a teenager enjoys a novel with an historical landscape, uh, one day that teenager or that young adult will open a history book uh, to learn more. And for me, um, the novel is a gateway uh, to history. It's, it's, it was my case. It's because I, 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 I read uh, novels that I loved with characters that I loved, which were historicals that I, I, I wanted to learn more about history. And uh, um, so that's a, the first answer. The second answer is that, you know, the Jewish thought is a thought of questioning. In, 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 Jewish, in, the, in Jewish thought, it's more important to know how to ask a question properly than to know how to answer it. And so my character in the book, so as you said, it's a character who is always asking questions to her mother. And my character is like one of the characters of the Passover Haggadah. The Haggadah is a book that we read on the evening of Passover, And in this book, you have a child, and this child is the ignorant one, okay? And he's the one who doesn't know. And it's very important because 
The one who asks questions allows others who perhaps didn't dare to ask the question to listen to the answer. And for those who know, maybe as a question asked will bring unexpected answers. That's why the book is a dialogue between my mother, who knows everything in the book, and me, who know nothing in the book. I am the ignorant one. Very important. <laughs> well, I really, I love that. Uh, two things, actually, about what you just said. That I thought that was such a good way to structure the book, because then I learned, too. You know, I'm learning through your eyes all these new things that I didn't know. And yeah, that you're right. That is a very effective way to convey to the reader to, to, so that they can learn a bit of history. The other thing, the first part of what you were talking about with reading historical novels as a teenager or whatever, that resonates so much with me uh, because that's how I really got into history. There's an English author, Ken Follett, yeah, who, I know. Yeah, he wrote a book called Pillars of the Earth, and it's about cathedrals in medieval England. And I, when I was a teenager, I loved that book, and it got me so fascinated into that that time period. You're so you're so right that that novels are are such uh, an excellent lens uh, into the past, and for 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 young people to get excited about the past. Well, let's let's dive into the history then of your book. So the Rabinoviches, if you can just start with them in 1919. Uh, so Ephraim and Emma are kind of the, the matriarch and patriarch, your great-grandparents. What kind of people are they? What personalities are they? What are their personalities like what are their children like? What's going on in 1919 for them? So um, Ephraim was from Russia. Emma was from Poland, from Lodz. I will, I will show you. I have a, a photography that's all the family in Lodz. And uh, here you can see that's Miriam. That's my grandmother the little girl with the white dress. And that's all the family. Here you see Ephraim. Here you see his wife, Emma. And that's cousins, aunt, uncles from the Rabinovich family and Wolf family, the two families together. And this photography was taken in 1924. And uh, after the war, Miriam, my grandmother, she's the sole survivor of all the people of the photography. Yeah. It was a, of a five-person family, the Rabinoviches, only Miriam yes. survives the Holocaust. Yeah. All, 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 all these persons were murdered. All, all the persons. Wow. So everyone in that photograph, except yes. for Miriam, died in the Holocaust. Yes. yes. That's incredible. So Ephraim was a very serious uh, uh, man, so um, an engineer, 
and he believed uh, in progress. He believed in, in science. So they had uh, three children. And um, Ephraim, um, he, he had complete uh, trust in France. For him, France was a country of enlightenment, enlightenment, the country of French Revolution. Um, so we, we must not forget that after the French Revolution, France was the only country in Europe that granted Jews to have the same status as other citizens. And so France was considered as a paradise in, in all Europe for the Jews. And there, there was a Yiddish proverb saying, happy as a Jew in France. Um, so that's why Ephraim and his family couldn't imagine a single, a, a single second that the French government, the French state, would betray him. He had trust in France. He wanted to become a French citizen. Yeah, and that, that ends up being a very important thing to him in the book is to get French citizenship. Yes, and I, he, I think, too, he wants to do everything correctly when he's in France. Yes. He wants to obey every law. He wants to be the model French yes. citizen. He was the first to go to the police to, to be on the register. It, he was the first one. I, 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 saw, I saw the paper, the archive. Yes, he wanted to be... A, uh, a model. Yeah, and I remember reading. So he was a, the when the when the Nazis invade France, he wanted to register first because that was to him. That's you know what the French authorities would want him to do. Why do you think it was so important to Ephraim that that he got French citizenship? As I said, he thought that France was a paradise for Jews, and he thought that France was the safest place in Europe for Jews. Hmm. Well, what was, what was life like for, for Jews living in France after, you know, so this is maybe the late, I forget which year they arrive in France exactly. They spend a little time getting there from Russia around Europe, but yes, I think it's the it's early the, 1930s. They are uh, in uh, at the end of the twenties. So, what was life like for um, for Ephraim and Emma when they first arrived in France? What what hardships did they experience as Jews? So, they they were um, foreigners, of course. So, if it's always hard to be a foreigner in a country, but they. They were um, highly um, educated. They speak uh, multiple languages, including French, even though they have uh, an accent. And so in France, Ephraim continues his work 
as an engineer. Emma teaches piano lessons. They have three children. And so they want, they want to be fully assimilated. They want their children to attend the best French schools. They want their daughters to be at the top of their class. They want to, to be assimilated. What happens to, yeah. uh, to Jews living in France when the Nazis invade? So this is 1940. Yes. And specifically, how does life change for Ephraim and Emma and Noemi and Miriam and Jacques? They will gradually fall under the yoke of anti-Semitic laws uh, and their family will be uh, deported. But for me, I, I needed to understand that, that. I needed to understand why they hadn't left why they hadn't avoided danger, why they had gone to register with the police. It was an obsession for me. Uh, I wanted to, to understand exactly day by day how things had unfolded, unfolded. Because they were intelligent, they were cultured people. So I wanted to understand why they didn't see the, the signs. It was my obsession, and it was why I wrote the book. Well, uh, the, so the second part of your book takes place in, in modern times. So um, fast forwarding a bit. And also, it, it, uh, just to make it clear for everybody here, so when your family is deported, so everybody except for Miriam, I believe, dies in Auschwitz. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah. So after that happens, your book it it fast forwards to modern times, and it it starts part two of your book starts with a a conversation between mother and daughter, just like part one, where it was between you and your mother. Now part two is a conversation between you. And your daughter. So, you know, why did you why did you choose to do that? And what do you think your book says about trauma and motherhood? I don't know. It's it's difficult for me to answer that question because it's up to the reader to tell me instead. But all I can say is that I wanted to write a book about transmission and about the idea of invisible transmission. The invisible transmission is one of the main themes of my book. I delve into the concept of how our ancestors survive uh, within us, even when we have no knowledge about them, not even their first names. And I, I read, I have, I have read articles on, you know, um, cellular memory. I, I find fascinating that our cells, in in our body, in, in our blood, have a memory. 
and uh, a memory of emotions spanning over scientists they say that the memory of emotions span over three previous generations and so it was fascinating for me and it's a scientific way to explain that our ancestors still live in us and it's a way to acknowledge that we still communicate and connect with our ghosts. That's, yeah. that's what I call the invisible transmission. For example, well, that's, uh, mm -hmm. because when you, when you are working on your family tree, you will discover a lot of strange coincidences. You will, and you will discover that, I don't know, you're, you, live, you live in a, in a city where your great-grandfather lived also and you didn't know. You will discover that, uh, I don't know, you are, uh, you are uh, um, an engineer and uh, your great-great-uncle was also an engineer and you didn't know. It was, it's strange coincidences. And while um, writing my book, I discovered a lot, a lot, a lot of these invisible transmissions. And for me, it was la like a gift. It, it was as if I were speaking with 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 my with my ancestors that's so interesting that that you say that and i'm thinking about parts in your book where where that happened the one the first thing that comes to mind is with you and your daughter when she experiences anti-semitism uh, at school you're very reluctant to bring that up to her you're you 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 hesitate to, to talk yeah well what do, do you think the cell cellular memory yes. do you think that is yes. is is, is it, tied to it yes i'm sure because at that moment when my mother called me called me and she said to me you have to go at school you have to ask the headmaster the teacher what happened at school it's awful you have to fix that problem and i can't i can't say anything i can't even ask my daughter just tell me what happened at school why 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 do you say that people don't like jews at school what what happened and uh, i i was so shocked i i i, I and I understood after that it was because of a trauma, a trauma over uh, several generations. So the trauma is in my cells. And that's why uh, I, I was in that, uh, in that shock. Yeah, well, one of the things that, that your book, so your, your own Jewish identity uh, is is explored throughout the book, and you know you're not you didn't grow up as um, a practicing 
Jew, if, if you want to put it like that. You did not grow up in a religious family. But of course, you know, religion is is very much tied to this story. There's a scene I'm thinking about in your book, actually, where you're with you, Georges, I think is his name and his family. And they're very, they're, they're religious. Um, they're religious Jews. Yeah. And um, they're kind of questioning you about, about yeah. your Jewish identity. And then one, uh, a woman says, it sounds like you're only Jewish when it suits you. Talk a little bit about your Jewish identity and how that changed in your search for for who wrote the postcard. It it it, it changed a lot uh, because before writing this book, I never used to say that I was Jewish. Uh, never. <laughs> no, I have no problem saying it anymore, and I know what the word, this word holds for me, uh, what meaning it has. So it makes a big difference. But you know, when, when you're writing a book, the book has to change you. If you are the same person before and after writing the book, it means that you, ha- you, had, you had not worked enough. Wow, I love that. Uh, I am uh, I'm writing a novel myself right now, so uh, I I hope to have that same experience uh, in writing my own book. I wonder then. So now that you've written the this book, then are there? How do you how do you see Judaism differently? Yes, because now it's a part of me, and it's it's really a culture more uh, than uh, for me I, I, I met a culture more than a religion and um, and I enjoy to learn more and day after day more about it yeah well uh, a question I guess about just kind of thinking about your your family and in Jews in France in the 1940s and kind of how how your great grandfather Ephraim how he really wanted to be a, a citizen and yes. you know he was an immigrant to France yes. you know and obviously you know he he was not protected by French society I wonder kind of thinking about modern day when it, it comes to foreigners and immigrants you know, in what ways do you think society right now, in what ways do you think society is repeating some of the same, same mistakes that led up to World War II? In French, we have an expression, comparaison n'est pas raison. It means that one, one must be very careful when comparing situations, especially in history. However, what is certain that is that mistakes are made. I don't know if mistakes are repeated, but mistakes are made today. And the problem is that when you have crises, economic crises, financial crises, 
it always um, raises racism. And you, human beings struggle to rid themselves of the fear of the other and of the foreigner. And um, that's very sad. So um, I don't know if I answer to your question, but it's difficult to answer to it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very tough because like you just said, it's so hard to compare because yes, there's, you know, World War II is just so hard to compare to any other yes. conflict that is, has ever happened. But I was struck in your, in your book with the, the, with the citizen as the citizenship aspect in in wanting to be a part of a society that that protects you and is is there for you and of course i'm not french so i don't really have a a firm grasp of of modern day french politics but i did get a, a sense in your book that 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 there were similarities yes between between then and now with how immigrants are treated Yes, but you know the the book uh, is um, is built is built with uh, two um, two uh, Passover nights, one Passover night in um, in nineteen uh, nine, nine, nineteen nineteen, and the other Passover night one hundred years later, and it was important for me to have these two uh, dinners, these two evenings, to show that I don't compare, but to show that the questions are always the same. Do we have to live? And it's important because the Passover night, Pesach, is the night when Jews are remembering the, the moment when Moses uh, left uh, from Egypt. So that's why the, 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 the two dinners are, are important. Yeah. Well, on those kind of lines, what lessons are you hoping that people take away from your book? I simply hope that people have had a literary experience because uh, at first I'm a writer and I want to write uh, literature. So that, that's my, my first hope before uh, the question of her lesson. And I, I also hope that they, they, will, they will have also learned things about war just as I learned because I'm not an historian so I learned a lot for writing my book while writing this book and but at the end for me the most important thing is that we don't we we need to we have to not forget what the Holocaust was because you know, uh, now uh, in France, in the United States, the witnesses are getting older and older. And one day we will leave, our children will leave 
in a world without the witnesses. And that's very dangerous, a world without witnesses. That's why we, the third generation, we have a mission, we have a duty, and we have to continue the account and the the account of the Holocaust, and and we have to to be um, to work for the witnesses. Oh, wonderful! Well, Anne, this has been such a terrific interview, and and thank you so much for your your time today. What are you working on next? You know. I I always uh, uh, work about my family. The book before uh, I I wrote before the postcard was a book about my great grandmother Gabrielle, and the book will 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 come out in in the USA. I don't know when, but maybe in one year or two years. And now I'm. I'm working, I'm writing a book about my parents and uh, about my father and their life in France in the 70s. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, I, uh, I hope that um, that makes it over here to America because I would like to read that. But that you, will find, you, you will find uh, Miriam because uh, Miriam... Oh, nice. uh, She's also in the story. You will uh, find uh, Gabrielle because she was very old. And so you, book after book, all the characters are moving. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting. When I was, your, your blurb, when I first introduced you, um, Claire, your sister, is yes. in the blurb. And I was like, oh, she's in the book. Like, I know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so neat that you get to, you know, uh, you get to write about your, your family, which is a fascinating family. So you have lots to write about. Well, and if, if people want to, uh, to follow you, you know, are you on social media? How can people get in touch with you? No social uh, media. I'm not on social media. Good for you. Good for you. I, I, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. I, I'm a, a very old lady from another century. So if you want to contact me, you have to write me letters. <laughs> oh, that's great. I receive, I receive hundreds of letters. Do you really? Yes. And I, I answer to, to all. Wow. Each that week, is... I spend one morning to answer to all the letters I receive. People write me to the address of my French uh, editor. It's Edition Grasset, uh, 61 Saint-Père Street in Paris, in the 6th arrondissement. And I receive all the letters and I answer with my hand. Oh, that's incredible. You have the perfect writer's life. That's no social media, handwritten letters. Well, Anne, thanks again, you know, so much for for, for joining me here today. The postcard by Anne Barris. Go buy a copy, go check it out from your library. 
Um, what a, an incredible, uh, emotional, impactful story. And Anne, thanks so much. Thank you.